0: Um, I think, I think I am just going to go ahead and share what I felt like the Lord put on my heart. Um, so uh, Thursday morning, uh, I was just in a time of prayer, and some of you who are in our community group are going to find this perhaps uh, almost comical, but I was in, in, in uh, prayer, and, and I felt a message deposited into my heart, And uh, we had community group that night in our house uh, and the subject of the gift of giving. And um, what happened uh, in the course of the conversation after we watched the video came, was a message, or excuse me, was a conversation around tithing. And uh, so it wasn't even intended to be what necessarily what we talked about, but that just happened. And what I had had in my heart that very morning was, uh, some pieces on tithing. And so the reason, as you can see, I'm, I'm probably so kind of careful is because uh, money and giving is such a tender subject. And we literally just heard a message on it this past Sunday. Um, and uh, there's been so much abuse in the church around giving and money Uh, Our kind of policy is we need to feed the flock and be bold with what the word of God says And yet we don't want to inundate as is the case in some churches with kind of pounding it over the sheep's head over Pressurizing people what what to do if that makes sense. So you just want to walk that that tenderly Um, But nevertheless that is the essence of the message that came to me on Thursday And um, so what I would like to do is just delve into that. Are we good? We're going there anyway, <laughs> so the the cat's out of the bag. There are, uh, thanks, Minda. There are, um, I think, in in a broad sense, kind of four camps when it comes to the issue of tithing. And what my hope is over the next few minutes is that we would just be able to look at the Word of God and kind of establish what our as a church our Theology is around it. I mean, obviously, it's we're you know we're not going to do it in one day. It's a huge topic, um, but just to be able to share something of the heart, and um, if I can kind of say it this way, share from my own heart, because uh, I believe that you can only lead people in what you yourself are doing and what you self what you yourself believe, and so this is very much my idea of tithing with regards to tithing and its. Uh, its relationship to the New Testament believer, I think that there is kind of latitude to be able to have some differences of perspective. Are we okay with that? So, however, I think what, what we want to see is what does the Word of God say and what does that mean to us today? And so, uh, I believe that there are loosely four camps with regards to the issue of tithing. One is people who completely believe that it's done away with in the new covenant. That's one camp. That the, there are things that pass through the cross from the old covenant into the new covenant, and that tithing is one of those things that is left in the old covenant. It has no relevance in the new covenant. There are people who would believe that. Then there's another camp that would say, tithing not only passes into the new covenant there is zero change from the institution of the tithe in the old covenant to the new covenant it is exactly the same every single scripture and every single application of the scripture in the old covenant derives exactly as it is in the new covenant then you've got other people which is the camp that i would fall into to say it does pass through into the new covenant but there are some changes it is, it, is, it is different, especially at a heart level. And then I think that there's a fourth camp that would say, with all due respect, I'm completely not open to tithing no matter what the Word of God says. And can I say that last camp, what we're about to talk about is not going to be able to be very helpful. When it comes to tithing, when it comes to anything in the Word of God, the way that we find truth is if we're seeking truth. If we're seeking the scripture to tell us what we want it to say, you're not going to find truth. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. And so it's the quest of, Jesus, my trust in you, and so I need to know what you say, what your will is, because I know whatever that is, I can trust in it. That's how we discover the truth. And so... um, you know, I do want to say, if you are in that fourth camp, I'm completely not open, regardless of what the Word of God says. I would want to say, guys, let's beware. Let's at least be have the fear of God to know that Jesus Himself said he could do no mighty works, or the scripture says he could do no mighty works because of their hardness of heart and doubt and unbelief. And that's very that's actually the reason they, they speak in parables, is because the, uh, the fulfillment of the scripture that said their hearts had grown dull and their ears had, had uh, waxed dull and they were hard of hearing and could not uh, hear and understand unless I they would hear me and, and, and I could save them. And so the Lord actually wants to save us and do us good with whatever the conclusion is with regards to the subject that we're going to be talking about. Make sense? So first of all, when we say what is tithe, uh, let's define that because we loosely toss this scripture word around in Christianity, uh, and tithe means one thing and one thing only. As in the Hebrew word translated in our English Bible, it means tenth. It would in essence be better for us to not use the word tithe, but rather say tenth because we've just kind of used it as a word that just kind of means gifts to the church or gifts to ministries or whatever and financial sewing. When in fact it means tenth, that's all tithe means. And so, technically, you can't tithe 8%, you can't tithe 12%, tithe is 10%. That's what it, that's, you give a tithe, that's what the practice is, is the giving of the top 10% of your income. So, let's look at each of these four camps, or actually three of the the, the four camps, and just kind of go through some arguments for that position and arguments against. You Ready? By no means is this exhaustive. After all, I found out I was preaching a few hours ago. So, arguments for the first camp, which is tithing is completely done away with in the new covenant. One, and this is pretty compelling, is that there is not one reference in the entirety of the book of Acts. The the chronology and history of the early church that mentions tithing. It doesn't say that the early church tithe the church in Jerusalem. It didn't say that they collected the tithes. And no reference at all. Then you go on beyond the book of Acts into the apostolic letters that were written by Paul and James and Peter and John. N- these letters that laid apostolic foundations in the churches, not one of them tells the Christians to tithe. That's pretty compelling, right? I would say this is, that is probably the, the most, uh, f- from my perspective, the most compelling argument is that right there. Because whatever argument we have, it's got to be the Word of God, right? It can't be my logic, it can't be what I think, or what I want, or what I feel. It has to be what does God's Word say, and with the New Testament, apostolic letters, book of Acts, it's silent with regards to tithing, with the exception the nuance that Jesus references tithing. And it is my core belief that we have to interpret the apostles through the lens of Jesus, not interpret Jesus through the lens of the apostles. We understand the apostolic letters of Paul and James by reading the Gospels. And what does Jesus say? Because he is the summation of all revelation and all of what God would say. He is, in fact, the living word of God. In Jesus, in Matthew 23, 23, uh, 23, verse 23, uh, if I have it here, says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, now, what is he talking about there? He's talking about a people in an agrarian society who were growing uh, farm produce, and that was their income. And they were tithing, in other words, giving a first ten percent of their mint and their anise and their cumin. In other words, down to the very spices, they were tithing to the nth degree. They were making sure that ten percent was perfect. They they knew even down to aniseed uh, and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faith there's the issue they the the pharisees were doing the law the letter of the law but they had they had uh, missed the heart of the law justice mercy and faith but here's what Jesus says with regards to this you should stop tithing because it's the new covenant No, he says, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Jesus is there endorsing in the new covenant the practice of tithing. And to me and to our house, that is weighted. That Jesus himself does not say stop doing it. He says do it, but change your heart when you do it. In a sense, God could care less if you tithe, but you're not connecting with his heart which leads us to living by justice, mercy, and faith, he, wants, he doesn't want us to stop tithing. He wants us to connect at a heart level and to do the tithe no longer out of new, Old Covenant compulsion, but do it out of New Testament faith. So another argument against... Uh, Whoa, man, I, I completely skipped something. Another argument for this position would be that tithing by nature can be legalistic, which in essence we just uh, touched on. Can I say another, another key issue with regards to the, to the tithe is that Jesus came to fulfill, not do away with the law. The argument is that tithing in a, in a sense of 10% is a legalistic issue. It's a law, and by nature, it, could, it can be. I mean, the idea of getting 10% of your income is, can easily become legalistic. But Jesus says this, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. In other words, what is written in the Old Testament. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Which is to say that the, the, new, the new covenant is, is one of heart, it's one of faith, it's one of relational connection where we live out righteousness because of a Holy Spirit living inside of us that we obey and that we are empowered by to do righteousness. The Old Covenant was what man could do with their own strength. So when Jesus says, that, I don't think that I come to uh, destroy the law or the prophets, I, I do not come to destroy but to fulfill, he's not saying that we do away with the righteous way of God. He's saying that, it, er, that the righteousness that we're called to in the new covenant exceeds the righteousness that the law gives. That, in fact, he says that very thing, that your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So let me put it this way. Jesus comes to fulfill the law. Part of the law was, as an example, was animal sacrifice. How many of you guys have sacrificed any animals lately to, uh, to serve Jesus? He fulfilled it. How did he fulfill it? He became the sacrifice. He was the unblemished lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. So that does not cross over through the cross from the Old Covenant in the New Covenant. Would you agree? But um, just because we're in the New Covenant... Do we no longer pray? Do we no longer avoid murdering people? Do we no longer not commit adultery? You catching what I'm saying? I don't not murder somebody because I'm obeying a law. I don't murder people because I have the love of Christ shed abroad in my heart. Right? I don't, what was the other, commit adultery because... You know, I would really like to commit adultery, but, you know, I've got this ball and chain over here. No, and I can't, I can't break the law. I don't commit adultery because I have a revelation of what my relationship with my wife is, of covenant that I'm honoring God and that our relationship is a type and a shadow of Christ's relationship with the church, and it's my honor to be committed and to try to fulfill the needs of her heart, right? In the same way... I don't stop tithing because I'm in the new covenant. I do tithing because my, the Holy Spirit has put in me a passion for the church, a passion for the gospel, a passion for the ministry spreading in the earth, and a passion for him that, that I want to find how can I express my gratitude towards him for what he has done with my finances, and how can I partner with my brothers and sisters to see this gospel furthered. That's the idea. Tithing, then, in my mind, is not a law in the New Covenant. It is a practice that has, there's no reason for it to stop in the New Covenant. It's a practical and yet holy practice to fund his ministry. Which I love. I love it. So, uh, let's move on. Another issue that would be an argument against this idea that it doesn't pass into the new covenant is that tithing is uh, pre-existed the law. So the idea that it's part of the law actually is erroneous because the, the practice of tithing was given, it was instituted in the scripture prior to there being a law. The first, so there's, uh, uh Some theologians would say there's a law of first mention, and that means the first time you see a subject matter uh, mentioned in the Scripture, you can learn kind of the nucleus understanding of that particular subject in that passage. And tithing began before a law was given. Some of you would know that there was a man named Abraham. He's the father of the faith. He was called uh, by God from Ur of the Chaldees to leave his land and and to travel and to go settle a land in what is modern-day Canaan or Israel, and uh, while he was on his sojourn, Abram, as he was known then, before his name changed, meets a high priest, or a priest of the most high God, whose name was Melchizedek, king of Salem, and let's look at this idea, there is no, of who Melchizedek is, there is no people of God at this point. Abram was the father of the faith, out of his loins comes the nation of Israel, It was years, generations later, that God would give a law to those people through the person of Moses, way before there was any law. There was no thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal. There was nothing. There was no law at all given to the people of God. There was Abraham. He was just a man. And all of a sudden, he encounters a Melchizedek, the high priest of the most high God. Well, how could there be a high priest if there's not even a religion yet? And so who is this Melchizedek guy? Well, let's look at his name, Melchizedek which, if you look at the original Hebrew roots of his name, Melchizedek, which would mean king or prince, Tzedek, which would mean righteousness, he was the king or prince of righteousness, king of Salem. He was Melchizedek, king of Salem, which means king of righteousness, king of peace. Who do you think this Melchizedek actually was? Jesus manifesting in the Old Testament. And it says that when Abram encountered him, that Melchizedek blessed him, And that Abram paid Melchizedek a tithe of all of his belongings and Melchizedek uh, spoke blessings over Abraham. What was going on there? This was an encounter in the old covenant of a man with Jesus, who is the high priest of the confession of our faith. And out of uh, gratitude for receiving blessing from this Jesus, Melchizedek gave to him a tenth of all that he had to pour out his, 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 uh, his, his gratitude upon this Jesus. My friends, that's the law of first mention. That is what tithe is it is encountering Jesus and out of gratitude yielding to him off the top of what we have a tenth to him. Not as a law out of abundance of gratitude. If you've never encountered Jesus, it is mighty hard to know what the heck I'm talking about. But I would say, if you have encountered Jesus, to me, 10% seems too little. I mean, and and that's kind of the the whole issue, is I believe tithing is to be a proportional idea, a starting point of generosity to, to reflect our worship and our gratitude with God and our partnership with his people to further his cause on the earth. It's a starting point. It's not a ceiling. It's a floor. Does that make sense? So tithing, then you've got people who believe that tithing is the exact same as the old covenant. And I would say, how are we doing on time? <laughs> let's, hurry, let's hurry it up. Is that what you're saying? I would say, if it's exactly as the old covenant, let's put this warning sign. Our relationship with God is not based transactionally or upon a system of works. It is based on faith and obedience. When Minda and I tithe, it is not out of a sense of duty. It can be. It's not like we, we, are, we, we do have to engage our faith when we uh, yield our tithes. But it is out of a sense of faith in our hearts from what the Word of God says that we respond to, and it's when it's done in faith that it works. If you do something out of compulsion, it just doesn't work. So if anybody in this room was to begin to tithe because they feel compulsion to do it, I can guarantee who won't be tithing in a few months down the road. It just becomes a burden. When there's something that, you, that triggers in your heart that you realize this is how I trust God and declare God to be my source and my provision, not my job, not my budget, not my, what I see with my physical eyes. I, this is how I worship God. When you, when you have that faith switch in you and you do it in faith, it becomes life-giving. And I actually want to share a testimony before we end this morning on, on how, what that looks like. But all instances in the New Testament regarding uh, tithing, because here's the deal. I once had a, a kind of a spiritual father in my life who said, look, I can jive with the idea that tithing is not New Testament, in a sense, but only in the sense that it's the floor and not the ceiling. In other words, you're, you're saying I don't want to tithe because I want to give more than 10%, not less than 10%. And the reality is, in the, think of it logically, the people in the Old Covenant were tithing, giving a 10%. Do we believe that now in the New Covenant, now that we have the Spirit of God and the grace of God, God himself inside of us, that we are going to be giving less through faith and the empowerment of the Spirit than the tithing Israelites were in the strength of their flesh? It doesn't make any sense. And in the New covenant, I mean, New Testament of the Bible, every single reference we have to giving is way more than 10%. So check this out. We've got the widow's might in Luke chapter 21. There's a, a widow. She's poor. She's got nothing. All these rich people are coming up. They're putting their offerings in the offering box at the temple. Jesus is there watching this. And up comes a widow, and she's got two mites. I can't remember the equivalent of what that would mean financially to us today. Like, you know, I don't know, a dollar or something like that. She comes up with her two mites, and she puts it in there. And Jesus comments and says that, that all these others out of their abundance have given, but she has given more. Why? Because she gave every last thing that she had into the temple of God, the work of God. That's 100%, right? So the widow's mite is 100%. You've got the rich young ruler. Jesus says to this rich young ruler who says he will do, follow Jesus wherever he wants to go, and Jesus says, okay, if you want to have eternal life, go sell all of your goods, give it to the poor, and you come follow me. That's 100%. Rich young ruler walked away sad because he was a possessor of many things. Then you've got the early church. Early church, it says in Jerusalem that they sold—they had no things that were their own. They had all things in common, and they, they sold their properties, brought the proceeds, laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed them all according to their need. That's 100%. Are you tracking? So when we say there's no tithe in the new covenant, it's not because, oh, praise the Lord, we don't give anymore. It's we give everything. Everything that we have belongs to Jesus. We live off the 90% as a starting point, but uh, we, don't, we don't stop tithing. We, we, we aspire to give beyond the tithe, and we're being led by the Lord in, in the way that we give. So uh, let's just look in and, and kind of close this up. Tithing is still relevant but changed, and I can even feel... In the room, and I uh, want to make a comment. I, I fully get, some of you may be looking at me saying, We get it, you want our money. And I want to say, It is paining me to have this discussion as a church right now. This is not because I want your money, this is 100% because I know that His church needs to follow His word. And it's our responsibility to teach his word, which is actually best not only for the church, but for you. But again, there's no, as the scripture says, uh, do not give by compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Which to me says, when that thing of faith is in your heart, you respond to that. It's not out of compulsion, so nobody needs to feel compulsion. I would just say, though, you need to have an open heart. We need to, because we're never going to discover truth without that. Uh, Matthew twenty, so tithing is still relevant, it's just changed. Where do we get this from? Let me just whip through a couple things about about that. Jesus says in Matthew 23, 23, you've already read it, that, that uh, you give a tenth of your cumin anise, and mer- but you've neglected the weightier issues of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you should have done without leaving the others undone, which would say that that all things in the New Covenant are, are connecting with God's heart rather than obeying a law. So if that's the case, why, what is God's heart with regards to tithing? What would, what would I say? And, or more importantly, what does the Word say? Why do we tithe? Number one, our giving is supposed to be proportional in other words, it's supposed to, by divine decree, be pro- proportional to what we have earned. And tithing gives us a beginning point of a proportional measure of giving. I referenced the widow's mite earlier. Do you remember what Jesus commended her for? That out of their abundance, they gave their much, but, but she gave the most because she gave everything that she had. He's speaking of proportion. Does that make sense? In other words, it's not the amount that you give that honors God, it's the proportion. And I think, as we said or heard, I don't know, recently in the video or by Bob's preach or something, we need to feel a little pain when we give. That's good. It's got to, you know, mean something to us. 1 Corinthians 16.2, Paul says, On the first day of the week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. In other words, like the King James says, as you have prospered. In other words, in proportion to what you have earned. Set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Giving is proportional. As, have you ever noticed that, uh, that uh, your spending tends to expand with the increase of your income? And so tithing is something that keeps that thing in check. That we don't just have a fixed amount that we give; we give a percentage uh, because it's a pr- because that's what we feel. It's not it's not it's not the, the amount. It's it's giving a percentage, and I'll tell you why that that's so important is because number two, tithing by nature makes God the number one priority of your budget. And you can tell me all day long that God is my number one priority, but if it doesn't touch your bank account, it can't be true. Show me our check ledger, or whatever it's called, our bank statement ledger, and I will show you where our priorities are. I'm, I'm not saying that to put a heavy on. I'm just saying it's true. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Fact. Fact. And so tithing, in the sense of being a percentage, making it a percentage, when it's a percentage, it, it remains a fixed priority. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, if I'm making, uh, you know, f- whatever, I'm making $4,000 a month, and I'm tithing off of that $400 a month, but this month i've got some increase of expenses that i wasn't expecting and so you know i'll i'll uh no that's not a good example <laughs> that's not a good example if i what i'm trying to get at is if you have this is what happens when you preach and you have no time to prepare it <laughs> what i'm what i'm trying to say is if you uh have other factors that come into your life that make you want to change what it is that you're giving by having a 10% thing. It, what regulates it, what navigates how much you're giving is not your your uh, circumstances. It is the fact that you have anchored in your budget number one light item, the tithe. Hope that makes sense. It keeps it. And so... Proverbs 3 9 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all of your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. That is the spirit in the old covenant, the spirit of the tithe. It's first fruits. What is first fruits? You and I aren't farmers for the most part. These people were farmers that that was written to. They brought in their crop, and before they used any of their crop for themselves or to sell for gain, they were to yield the first fruits, the creme de la creme, the right off the top, from the beginning. Before you use any of the income that you have for your own stuff, you give it back to God. That is worship. When we're budgeting God around our expenses, uh, God is the dog being wagged by the tail in our lives. But the tithe makes it that He is the priority of our budget. That is incredibly important for the heart of the church, because if we are to be the body of Christ on the earth, he needs to find a people on the earth who would prioritize the ministry and the building of his church in unison with his heart, prioritizing the ministry and the building of the church. And the way that that happens is that we financially covenant with the church. Thirdly, tithing enables and furthers the work of the ministry. I say this at the expense, again, perhaps of being misunderstood because this is kind of about me, <laughs> this scripture, and that I'm a full-time elder or a lead, lead pastor. But 1 Timothy 5.17, listen to this. Let the elders who rule well, in other words, lead well, be counted worthy of double honor. What are we talking about double honor? What does that mean? That means there's a base level of normal honor that a, any elder should receive, of you make space for an elder to be able to speak into your life, to be able to lead, and, and, and you, you have a leaning in to you know, go where the elders are going. That's, that's basic level honor. But Paul says here, let the elders who rule well be worthy of double honor, especially those who labor. Can you say labor? Labor. What's the idea there? Did you know that leading a church is work? How many of you would go to work tomorrow... And not expect to be paid for it. (laughs) Right? Those who labor. In word and doctrine. The word of God. The ministry of God. Is work. And it. And. Jesus does not send his messengers to lead the church without expecting to be able to supply for their own needs. That has been a pattern from the Old Covenant right through to the New Covenant. God had the Levites in the Old Covenant, the priests, whose full-time responsibility was to manage the affairs of the temple. And when the people stopped tithing, the Levites had to depart from the temple and go get farms so that they could survive. Do you know that not once in the Old Covenant were they rebuked for doing that? the people were rebuked for doing that because it was their fault for not tithing that caused those who should be full-time in the ministry to have to go find secular jobs. Please don't read into that anything that I'm not saying. I'm saying the principle is that in the New Covenant, there needs to be a financial partnership to make sure that the needs of the ministry can take place. This does not happen uh, because uh, angels come out of nowhere and just supply for the needs of the church. The fact that we're in this building— and that we are paying rent every month it does not happen because, you know, praise God. Once again, a check fell out of the sky and into the mailbox and we got it. no. It happens because people in this room partner financially in response and obedience to him. Anyways, it says, uh, especially those who labor in word and doctrine, for the scripture says, "You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain." and the laborer is worthy of his wages. You can also see 1 Corinthians 9, 4-11. Uh, Paul says the exact same Old Testament reference in related relationship to supporting those whose call is to preach the gospel. So, uh, fourthly, tithing is God's economy of blessing us. Some people say, I don't want to give in order to get, to which I would agree. You don't want to give in order to get but you do want to partner with God in his kingdom economy. We want to be patterned here on earth after what God has willed and spoken from heaven. That is why we tithe. Because he spoke it in his word. And so if my trust is in him and I want to know how to manage my finances, my first go-to should be the word. And you're not going to go far into the word before you see the issue of tithing. And so... Tithing is God's economy of blessing us. So it's not just about paying God tithe. It's also about we are beneficiaries in this process. God wants to know that he will take care of us and our house as we take care of him and his house, or his house. We don't take care of him, but his house. We receive in proportion to our giving. So check this out, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. This I say, Paul says, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Luke chapter 6 verse 38. Jesus says, "Give, and it will be given to you. It will good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your bosom for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you." That's talking about like financial blessing or or material blessing I should say. We're about to wrap it up, but I do want to just say this, this and then we're, I'm just going to share a quick story, and then we'll pray. God promises to tend to our house if we tend to his house by tithing. Malachi chapter 3. I know, I uh, think, anyways, Malachi chapter 3. Jesus, God says this, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. That's the issue, is that tithing supplies for the ministry, and we want to see, I believe most, if not everybody in this room, wants to see this gospel reach as many people as it can, for as many people to be discipled and to have, in essence, food in the house that can be not only benefit to the Lord, but through that benefit to the nations. That is the idea of tithing. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. This is huge because what you just heard right there is the one singular moment in all of scripture where God actually says, test me. In fact, it says elsewhere, you, thou shall not test the Lord except with the issue of tithing. Try me now in this, says the Lord, I will not open for you the windows of heavens and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. I share a story about this. Good, I'm glad you want that. <clears throat> um, we, just to illustrate this passage of scripture in our own lives, uh, Mind and I reached a moment of, of critical financial problems at a certain time. And, uh, and even right there, before I even tell the story, We've tithed from the beginning. And I hope to not boast or to make you think I'm brat. I'm just, it just is. We, we've tithed from the beginning. And yet we've faced significant financial uh, moments of scariness. Can I say it that way? So how can this passage of Scripture be true? That he says, test me and see if I won't pour out for, for you such a blessing that you won't have room enough to contain it. Can I say also... Uh, and this is my belief, some people would say we shouldn't tithe because some people can't afford to. To which, if you, don't have, if, you, if, if you don't have that resonance in your spirit, in your innermost being, that tithing is right, then if you try to give when you don't have the money, it's, it, it's not going to work. Our position is we feel like we can't afford not to tithe, regardless of how financially uh, dangerous that may be. So we may have too little, even if we're not tithing, but we're still going to tithe off the top because he is, his kingdom is the number one priority of our line budget, uh, budget line item. And we believe that if we do that, we can trust God because of that scripture at every level. So we reached a moment that was, it had been a rough period leading up to that moment, and we had been getting, doing, having to do things that were uncomfortable and, and scarier and scarier financially, you know, the savings was long gone, and, uh, you know, we didn't want to have to start living on credit and all that kind of nonsense, and uh, we got to a point where we were at the end of our rope, and I was, like, emotionally challenged by that. Anybody ever been there before? And... Um, I woke up that morning. I look out the, uh, the window and I notice that my car has a flat tire. (laughs) And, uh, and so I'm just, it it just, have you ever been to that, that thing where the straw that broke the camel's back? It can be like the tire, you know, it's like all you need and you just plummet. I was toast emotionally. And I'm talking about, I'm not talking about wearing spiritual diapers. I'm talking about in, in some degree of spiritual maturity, I was, I was toast. And, um, and then later, some other stuff happens where we have an accident with our car that is our responsibility, and I'm just like, where are you, God? I mean, I, I just broke. And all I had, I couldn't pray. I don't know if anyone's ever been there. I had no prayer was nothing i had no faith no i was just so emotionally down and and but this one thing started rising up psalms 23 i felt like if i could just start clinging on to something that god has said so i started i went down i was going to the place to, to go get a tire repair kit hopefully we can repair that and not have to spend a whole bunch of money to get professionals to do it so i went down it was like the last of the money that we have is to buy a tire repair kit and uh and I, I went down and I'm, I'm reciting Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pasture. Besides restful waters, he leads me. He restores my soul. He leads me in th- paths of righteousness for his namesake. I'm quoting this, this scripture. And as I do, I'm beginning to feel my spirit align with what the words say. Now, my emotions, even my body, my physical body, still felt the, the, the weightedness of the depression. Does that make sense? Like, I, was, I could physically feel, like, ugh, But in my spirit, I was beginning to feel a rising lion inside of my lungs kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and I start to, to say it different ways. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. I start preaching to myself. And as I do, faith is rising. Now, I have to go into the store and buy the thing, and I can't keep preaching Psalms 23 to myself, but, uh, but I, 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 was, I was feeling this weird thing of the buoyancy of faith rising with feeling in the natural, my soul and my body, still feeling totally overcome. Uh, later that day, but something, I just continued to quote that scripture all day long. Later that day, Uh, Minda and I come together around dinner, and uh, she's battling the same stuff that I'm battling, probably to a lesser degree, but she she says, let's pray, and she starts to quote this Malachi passage of scripture. And it says, if test me now in this, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it, and I, God, will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. And so she started praying, Lord, we pray according to your word that you would rebuke the devourer. You said that you will not destroy the fruit of our ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit in your field. So Lord, we're asking you to cause our vine to bear fruit and our field to bear fruit. And as she was praying God's word, because it, there's something about when you, tack, when you grab a hold of his word. This isn't something you're praying for yourself. This is what he has said. And I can have faith not for what I need or what I feel, but what he has said. And I want to encourage us to, to, there's a difference between passive faith and active faith. And, and sometimes God wants us to hear his word and not just say, well, that's what he said, so I hope it happens. But to grab a hold of it and say, God, you said that you would uh, to test you now in this. And so we prayed, and we agreed, and we went to bed at peace. Praise the Lord. I slept that night. I should not have been able to sleep that night. I mean, I'm not going to go into the details of the financial calamity that, that was around the corner for us if a miracle didn't happen, but I slept that night because I knew somehow God was going to be faithful to his word. I woke up the next morning. And I went through my thing. I did my coffee, and I did my Bible time, and I did my prayer, and, and I, uh, uh, you know, got showered and did all this stuff. And then I had a, uh, a Zoom uh, uh, business appointment. Uh, I was training somebody in, in some things r- related to real estate at the time. And um, they were, uh, let me see if I can just kind of wind it down quickly. They, the substance of the meeting was basically them saying uh, they are not going to be able to continue with this program, and because they're going to start shifting over to Massachusetts rather than Michigan. And I'm only licensed in Michigan, so I couldn't help them with that. He said, But you, your training has been so helpful, and I know I'm going to use it in future endeavors. And uh, I was not paid. What you need to understand is I I only get paid in that mentoring capacity when the person closes a deal. And they're pulling out and they never actually finalized any deals. And they said, I feel bad. You've given some excellent training and and mentoring. And, you know, you should see something. I said, we'll call him Nick. And it's not his real name. But I said, Nick, you don't owe me a thing. Like, like, this is part of the job. I do it in taking a risk that if you don't close a deal, you don't close a deal. And it's, this is the way real estate works. You, some deals don't close and you don't get any money because you're paid by commission. That's fine. And, and, and the, and, but behind the scenes, I'm thinking, what's going on here? But I knew, like, like that's the right thing. Like, he, do, he, he does not owe me a thing. The dude would not stop. And, uh, and so I was like, bro, like, you don't owe me anything. That's it. This guy found a way to be able to get a gift given to me that we found out later that same day that covered all of our expenses for the rest of the month, the shortfall, and covered the deductible from the traffic accident that we had. And from that moment, my friends, I have... Become so convinced in my spirit that God is with us. I mean, like as I, I've struggled, uh, perhaps generationally, with my mom's fears and stuff like that, on rece- on provision. I want to say, God is faithful, and if you seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, all these things really will be added to you. And the question is, Is tithing his kingdom, is it his righteousness? I would say, it is not a law, it is not compulsion, but it is a practice that God instituted prior to the law, and it is connected directly with his blessing. And if we have an issue with tithing, my encouragement would be, let's start with tithe, 10%, and let's give above and beyond that. And I'm not even talking about just into the local church, I'm talking about let's give to the church, and above and beyond that, let's give Uh, Like it says in that video that we saw this week uh, The aspiration I think should be Steve uh, Wimble said he's working towards Is to tithe 10%, save 10%, give 10% And live off the 70 Which I'm not there today but why don't we do that Why don't we try to make our budget look like Jesus' heart So shall we pray I'm going to sleep well tonight so, Lord, I just want to say this to you guys. If you're tithing, it, you know, this is a practice. Perhaps let this just be an encouragement to you to build, to stir up the faith that got you there in the first place. And and to, uh, as Bob mentioned earlier, you know, the Lord is so pleased with our praise and our thanksgiving and our worship. And, and this is a key key way that he's always had for his people to give thanks to him and to worship him and uh, for, his, for his house to be built. So just be find the joy. And if you are perhaps tithing and you're saying, man, I'm, I'm, I need God to come through, I want to encourage you, use that scripture. God is pleased when you say, God, you said test me now on this. And if you're not tithing, I would, I would just say, guys, tithing in faith, breaks a poverty mentality. And some of us can grow up. I grew up in a what many would say would be affluence. But just because of the bank account of my parents doesn't mean that they didn't have, especially my mom, something of a poverty mentality, a fear, constant fear. I'm telling you, man, that financial fear needs to be broken over the people of God. And tithing, when you say, I am not dependent on any natural thing, I am dependent on God, it breaks that poverty mentality. Tithing connects your earthly life and your heart with the heavenly realm. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also.